Today's word comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11, verses 1 to 13. Hear the word of the Lord. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. Let's, uh, let's all pray together for a moment. God, we thank you for uh, this time, and uh, we want to have ears to hear, to hear what you have to say to us, not only as a congregation, but even perhaps uh, personally. And uh, we know that you are God who speaks. Uh, you speak through your word, and you even speak to us uh, in the power of your Holy Spirit. So uh, give us uh, eyes to see and ears to hear, as uh, Jesus often says, uh, that we might hear what the Spirit has to say to us today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, if you're joining us for the first time, we are in a series on the Holy Spirit, and um, you know, I just felt like this was uh, this was the right time uh, to pursue God in the Holy Spirit. And one of my hopes during this season of life, that together as a church, you know, we have a certain knowledge, or some of us at least have a certain knowledge of who God is. Some of us may even have a certain knowledge of who the Holy Spirit is. Uh, but we want to take that knowledge, and we want to. Uh, e- bridge it with our experience of who God is. And Paul has this wonderful prayer in Ephesians 3 where he prays that the Holy Spirit would strengthen us, strengthen the inner man, and that we would be filled with the fullness of God. And I think at the end of the day, that's what we all need. My sense uh, with myself, my sense with the congregation, there is a sense of maybe tiredness and there is a sense of emptiness. And I do believe that the only one who can fill that is going to be God and one of the ways that we can pursue God is in the person of the Holy Spirit. One of the things that we've also been saying, too, is, uh, you know, as New Yorkers, we tend to be very active people. So it's kind of like, well, what's the goal? And what are the steps I have to take to fulfill that goal or to get to that goal? And that's how a lot of us think. And we're uh, perhaps very achievement-oriented. But one of the things that the Apostle Paul also says is, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the interesting thing about that statement is, on the one hand, it's a command. He's saying, be filled with the Holy Spirit. But on the other hand, it's uh, grammatically in the passive voice construction, which means that we are not the ones who fill ourselves with the Holy Spirit, but we have to depend on someone else to fill us with the Holy Spirit. So we, we kind of take an active, obedient, but at the same time, I shouldn't say active, we take an obedient posture <laughs> But at the same time, in our obedience, we're taking a passive posture and allowing God to do something to us. And so what is a a great way to do that and a great example to do that if you're looking for, okay, what does that mean practically? And I think prayer is a great way to live in that tension. 
Because prayer is a way where we take that step of obedience and we make time and we, we devote ourselves and we devote our time to God in that moment. But at the same time, prayer is one of the most uh, uh, passive things we can do because we're seeking God and we're saying, God, you act, you help me, you lift me up from the miry pit. And so we're going to look at prayer today. Now this is, uh, I think, at least part of this passage may be familiar to you because what it includes is the Lord's Prayer. And uh, we're not going to look at the Lord's Prayer per se, but uh, we are going to think about uh, the role and the importance of prayer and especially how does Jesus teach his disciples to pray. And there's a co- the context of this passage is really um, interesting because it says Jesus was praying in a certain place in verse 1 and when he finished one of his disciples said to him Lord teach us to pray as John taught his disciples now apparently I was reading a commentary this is the only time where the disciples are so direct in asking Jesus to teach us something and uh, they see Jesus praying and the way Jesus responds to their question of Lord teach us to pray their request Lord teach us to pray the first thing he does is he gives us He gives them an example of how to pray. But the second thing he also does is he gives them an attitude by which they ought to approach God in prayer. Now, the first thing, he gives an example of prayer. And I think examples are probably one of the best ways to teach somebody how to pray. Now, if you're somebody, maybe you grew up in the church and you've always been surrounded by people who are praying or you've always been exposed to people who are praying, then uh, maybe you don't even really think about Uh, what it means to learn how to pray. But if you are maybe somebody who came to the Christian faith um, maybe uh, recently or in your adulthood or you've never been to a church and somehow you came to the Christian faith, I'm sure one of the things that you wrestled with or you thought about is uh, how how do I pray? And I bet one of the ways that you learned how to pray is you just kind of observed people praying. You said, oh, how does a person up front pray? You go to maybe small groups or prayer meetings, and then you you just kind of listen, and you listen to how people pray. And your prayer life is probably going to be shaped in large part by how you hear other people pray. And so examples of how to pray is uh, one of the best pedagogical uh, tools we have in order to teach one how to pray. Now, the reason I mention this is because today we are going to baptize uh, two babies in the church today. And I want to make a few comments in relation to that and what, how we view our children. You know, when we baptize babies, one of the, and not every church baptizes babies, I understand, and maybe you come from a tradition that doesn't do that. Uh, but in our church, we believe that infants should be baptized. And one of the things that we are saying when we do that is uh, these children, these babies, they belong to the covenant community of God. We are saying uh, they are welcome here. Uh, We don't want them to necessarily think of themselves as separate, which is why in the beginning of our worship, uh, maybe it's a little noisy and the children are here because we want to be as inclusive as we can so that the children can see people worship, so that the children can see people in prayer. And I think that's one of the ways in which we disciple the little ones. You know, at uh, 10 o'clock in the back, we have prayer and uh, today, uh, little Nicholas was back there, and uh, you know, he was praying with us, and he was seeing people pray, and he even wanted to pray. So he lifted up a prayer as we were praying in the back. And I think that's just um, a, a wonderful way in which we disciple children. So uh, example, Jesus gives an example, say, teach us how to pray. Jesus gives an example, say, look at the Lord's Prayer. This is how you pray. Now, this is the short point, but here's what I want to do. I want to dwell on the second half of the passage where Jesus exemplified, or when Jesus uh, tells this parable uh, as a way of showing us what kind of attitude should we have as we come to God in prayer. 
And he gives this like parable, this hypothetical scenario, and he says, uh, imagine this. Imagine you have a friend, this friend comes into town uh, in the middle of the night and you want to entertain this friend. You open up your fridge and oh, lo and behold, there's no food. So what do you do? In those days, there's no marketplace, there's no stores open, there's no 24-hour place that you can go to. So you say, I'm going to go to a friend's house and I'm going to ask my friend for three loaves of bread. You go to your friend's house at midnight, you knock on the door and maybe your friend doesn't answer because it's the middle of the night. Everybody's asleep. By the way, in those days, they probably every, everybody resided in one room, which is why the children are sleeping in the same bed as the parents. You live in one room, there's one bed, everybody's together. So you knock on that door, you're not just waking up one person, you are waking up the entire family. And uh, this friend's like, ah, who's knocking on the door? A little bit groggy. The children, wah, 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 ready to wake up. And uh, this friend comes to the door, it's like, what? What do you want? And you're, you're not even there for an emergency. You're not saying, help me, I'm in this big emergency. You're like, hey, dude, can I have some bread? Three loaves of bread. I got some guests in town and I don't have any food. And uh, well, you know, what, what's your reaction going to be? You're like, whoa, how, how brazen are you? That's a little bit rude. Don't you have any shame? You're coming and waking up my family in the middle of the night just to ask for three loaves of bread. And uh, you're like, yeah, I need three loaves of bread. And what the passage says is because of the, this person's impudence or uh, shamelessness, it's a, it's a Greek word that only occurs once in the New Testament, a little bit hard to translate, but a mixture of boldness, a little uh, mixture of the idea of uh, without shame, uh, you're kind of like, all right, here you go. And you get <laughs> three, three loaves of bread. Do you have a person in your life that is kind of like that where they have no shame in, in asking for anything? Do you know somebody like that? You know, there's a difference between a big, uh, some of you are smiling, so I'm guessing that means yes. There's a difference between a big ask and a small ask. Now, those, the small asks, you know, if we're a friend, we're, we don't mind doing those kinds of things. So if somebody says, hey, can I crash at your place uh, for a few nights? You say, yeah, sure, come, crash at my place. A big ask would be, hey, can I stay at your place for like three months? It's like, uh, three months? Uh, sure, right? Uh, a small ask is maybe, uh, you know, you ask a friend, hey, can you watch my kids for a few hours or for the day? A big ask is, hey, I want to go on this cruise for like 10 days. Can you watch my kids for 10 days, right? <laughs> That's a big ask. A small ask is, uh, oh, I, I, I don't have any cash on me. Do you mind covering my meal? A big ask is knocking on the door in the middle of the night and waking everybody up and saying, can I have three loaves of bread? You see this person? It's a, it's a big ask. It's kind of an, this, what this person is doing is... Uh, I guess being a little bit rude according to our social norms and our social standards. And we would probably judge a person like that. And if there are people who have that kind of lack of self-awareness and make those kinds of big asks, you are probably judging them and you're like, oh, that's messed up. Don't they have any shame? Aren't they, don't they have any uh, consideration for other people? Uh, if it were me, I would know that I shouldn't ask for these things because it's just not appropriate. And we would look at a person like that and we would judge them a little bit, right? But what's interesting about this parable, about what Jesus is saying, is Jesus is actually saying you should be like that person when it comes to coming to God in prayer. It's not a negative example. And you see this after telling the parable. Jesus says in verse 9, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and I guess in this sense a literal way, right? Knock, and it will be opened to you. And you think, Perhaps sometimes we do not receive, and we're saying one of the things that we want to be in this series, we want to have a posture of uh, receiving because God is a good 
giver who wants to give, perhaps sometimes we do not receive because we have not asked. Perhaps we do not find because we have not sought. Perhaps the door isn't open for us because we have not knocked in the middle of the night. And yet Jesus is teaching us, how do you approach God in prayer? You approach God like this bold, brazen, shameless person, and you ask. Now why? Well, parables are not uh, allegories, which uh, basically mean that we're not supposed to find spiritual truth in every detail of the story. Usually parables have one point. Sometimes occasionally they'll have two points. Uh, The point of this parable about the friend at midnight is pretty simple. It's just be bold. Be without shame when it comes to asking God in prayer. But at the same time, our relationship with God is not like this friend-to-friend relationship. It's not as if God is saying, ugh, right, ugh, you're asking me for this, fine. And he gives because of his impudence. But there is actually another metaphor that is introduced here starting at verse 11. And what Jesus talks about here is a father-son relationship, or if we would expand maybe like a parent-child relationship. And he says this, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? And you see, it's within this kind of context of this uh, parental relationship where one would expect the kind of asking that is very brazen and shameless. Because you see, that's, that's what kids do. Kids ask for everything. They're very persistent about it. They ask without any kind of shame. Uh, my kids ask me for things all the time. Can I have dessert? Can I have ice cream? Can I get a toy at Target? Can you take me to the playground? Can you buy me this book? Can you read me this book? Can I paint? Can you get the Play-Doh? Right? Can you play with me? Constant, constant asking. And, you know, if the answer is not the one that they want, uh, you know what they do? I'll tell you what they don't do. They don't say, oh, okay, fine, I understand. They do not do that. You know what they do? They keep asking. Uh, Can you lay with me tonight? Uh, No, I cannot, kids. I cannot lay with you tonight. Why? I have to clean up. I got to do the dishes. Okay. After you do the dishes, can you lay with me? No, I cannot. Why? Well, I got to do some work. Well, after you finish your work, can you lay with me? No, I cannot. Why? And you run out of reasons, right? So I just can't. Can you lay with me tomorrow? Mm, No, I can't lay with you tomorrow. Why? I just can't, right? And they're very persistent about it. They have no shame about it. Uh, I think adults, we don't want to ask too much because we're afraid, right? We don't like rejection, so (laughs) uh, we won't continue to ask. But children, they have no shame. They just ask and ask and ask and ask. And that's why, you know, adults, we are not very, usually very persistent in what we ask for because we have pride and ego. But when you look at children, what we should see is that is how we should pray. That is how we should approach God in prayer. Now, I also think children expect their parents to uh, give them what they want eventually. Um, I think that maybe that's one of the reasons why they're so persistent because they know that their parents want them to be happy. I think so, right? I think they have that sense. Um, When I was in college, I remember I went to this Japanese restaurant with some friends and uh, one person ordered, you know, green tea ice cream. Green tea ice cream looks green. Uh, You know, wasabi also looks green. It looks like green tea ice cream. So uh, one friend was like, decided to do a prank, ordered green tea ice cream, got a scoop full of wasabi, 
put it in the green tea ice cream and uh, said to his other friend, hey, I got you some green tea ice cream. This is the best ice cream I've ever taken. You've got to try it, right? He takes a scoop, puts it in his mouth, and he's like, oh, right? <laughs> he starts like tearing up. And uh, I think it's maybe his nose bled or something. <laughs> I don't know. You know, maybe a friend might do that to another friend as a parent, but I can't imagine like a parent doing that to their child, right? M- maybe in the world, a parent would do that to their child. I think that's a little bit messed up, right? But a parent probably would not do that to their child because a parent does not want their child to go through that kind of suffering. And that's what Jesus is saying here. What, what, kind of, what kind of father is going to give their son a serpent instead of a fish or a scorpion instead of an egg? That even, uh, even evil fathers, even evil people such as us, even sinful parents such as uh, we could be, uh, even we want to give good gifts. Therefore, how much more, right? God is not the same as us. God is better than us. How much more then would God want to give good gifts to his children? Now, again, by the way, I think that that is why it's good to have children around. Um, You know, in the Bible, I think the way we often think is like we have to tolerate like certain categories of people. So children, they're noisy, they're distracting, they break things. We kind of have to tolerate their presence. Um, I think it's another category, the poor. It's like, oh, we got to help them. And we look at poor as charity. The Bible actually flips that around. And the Bible says, no, it's not that you have everything to give to these categories of people, but these categories of people are actually important for you, for your faith. For example, we need to be around poor people because poor people can teach us what it really means to depend upon God in faith. And if we don't, then there is going to be something lacking in terms of how we understand and interpret faith. Children, I think, are viewed in the same way. We actually, it's actually good for our faith to have children around. Why? Because Jesus calls us to have a faith that is childlike. And every time you see a, a child asking for something and s- without shame and kind of saying, can I have this, can I have that, can you get me this, can you do that? There is a sense in which we ought to look at that child and say, that is who we are before God. That is how we ought to come to God in prayer. When was the last time you approached God like that? Where, uh, you know, you're not worried about what you're saying, you're not worried about how you're saying it, but because you, he is your father, there is this sense of uh, freedom where uh, you feel free to come before God, and even if what you're asking for is not the right thing, or even if what you're asking for is not the appropriate thing in that moment, God continues to love you because you are his child, and he gives you grace. And you therefore can come before God and ask freely, like a child. Or do you approach God like an employer? You don't want to disappoint him. You don't want to get on his bad side. You try to be really careful with your words. Uh, You don't want to be rude and ask for that raise. So what you do is you kind of hint at it, hoping that God might give you what you ask for. How do you approach God? Sometimes I don't think we ask God because maybe we are afraid uh, of what that might say or do to our faith if God doesn't give us what we ask for. But when it comes to prayer, what Jesus is saying is pray like a child. Pray like this impudent person who goes in the middle of the night and knocks at the door and asks for three loaves of bread. Be bold in your prayer. Be persistent in your prayer. Not being so concerned about 
how you come off in your prayer before God. Now, why can we pray like a child? The reason we can pray like, like, think about this, like Peter alluded to it before, and we didn't coordinate, so it must be the spirit that is uh, teaching us this today, but uh, we have been, uh, we are called children of the living and the holy God. Whereas before, right, we were called strangers, we were called exiles, we were called um, aliens and enemies of God. To go from that place to now being a child of God, how does that happen? It happens through something called adoption. And God adopts us as children through the blood of Christ. And that's why the cross is such a major accomplishment, a cosmic accomplishment, because it creates this new family in which we are invited and adopted into where we can be secure. Now think about what it means to be a child. When a child messes up, maybe they get disciplined, but when a child messes up, they continue to stay in that family, right? Our relationship with God is secure because Jesus, he basically signed, notarized the adoption papers through his blood, and nothing can ever reverse that. That's why we can come to God and pray like a child, because we are a child because we've been adopted through Christ. You know, what I think is the problem with the way we pray is not in our asking, but uh, I think one of the problems is that uh, we don't really know what we really need when we ask, right? We assume we know what we need, but I don't think we really know (laughs) what we need. Uh, I think it's okay to ask for things like a promotion, for a job, for a girlfriend, for a boyfriend, for an apartment, or whatever, those kinds of things we might ask for. Uh, I, would, I would not discourage that. I think we should come before God and ask, and he may say no, but we can still come before him and ask. But consider this. Maybe, maybe we ask for some of these things because what we really need is something deeper, and we think these things will fill us or make us happy or make us feel secure or comfortable. Maybe we ask for these things because we think it'll make us not feel alone anymore. Maybe it will make us feel not so empty anymore. But you know what we really need? If if those are our, our deep desires, what we really need is the Holy Spirit. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now here's why I wanted to preach this passage in this series. Verse 13 sums up, I think in a very dynamic way, and it's the reason, um, like I said, I want to preach this passage. It says this, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? God wants to give us the Holy Spirit. You know, last week I said the Holy Spirit is ultimately a gift, and He's a gift that continues to give, and Gifts are meant to be received, and you, can't, uh, you can ask for a gift, but you can't force yourself to, to receive a gift unless someone gives you that gift, right? And therefore, it has to be given to you out of sheer grace. Now, if the Holy Spirit is a gift, that means that he has to be given to us. We cannot earn him. We cannot work for him. All we can do in the final analysis is ask God to give him to us, to fill our hearts with the Holy Spirit. And the reason why Jesus, what Jesus says here is so encouraging is because he's saying this, God actually wants that. He wants to give us the Holy Spirit. So ask, 
right? So ask. Ask persistently. Ask without shame. Ask boldly because God wants to give him to you. Uh, A.W. Tozer, he has this book about how to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and uh, one of the things he says is actually pretty simple. He says, if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, ask. Right? That's what he says, ask. And very simple application. If you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, ask the Holy Spirit to come and to fill you. And maybe we don't ask because maybe we doubt. Maybe we don't ask because we're afraid. What if we, don't, we aren't filled with the Holy Spirit? What if God doesn't answer that prayer? Maybe we don't ask because we just don't think to ask. Maybe we don't ask because we have a lot of fears. What if God does answer that prayer? As you start to hear um, more and more testimonies, I think one of the things that you'll find, you know, in our church, in this series, uh, uh, we've been asking people to share testimonies about um, their life with the Holy Spirit. Um, As you hear more and more testimonies of the Holy Spirit, I think one of the things that you'll see is people come and they ask, right? And then they get filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, it can happen maybe in private prayer, It can happen in a context where somebody asks somebody else to pray for them that they would be filled with the Holy Spirit. But however it happens, it is this posture of saying, I'm going to ask. I was reading this testimony by this pastor, and, uh, you know, he he was a pastor who believed that uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit had ceased. And then um, he's gradually started to change his understanding after he had a couple of uh, different kinds of experiences. And uh, he realized, like, you know, up until that point, he had never asked to be filled with the Holy Spirit uh, but then eventually he, he started to pray for that. And he said after about three or four months, he, he was just consistently praying, God, fill me with the Holy Spirit, fill me with the Holy Spirit. After about three or four months of praying that, uh, he said the Holy Spirit came and filled him. And uh, in his case, he started praying in tongues. Now, as I said before, these kinds of testimonies aren't meant to be normative. Uh, and I'm not saying the way it happens to this person or to that person is the way it has to happen to all people. The Holy Spirit's a mystery and works in different ways. But I think the point is, you got to ask. You got to ask. And so if there's a, you know, someone, you know, some people have been asking about uh, through this series, yeah, I'm intrigued and uh, I want the Holy Spirit to, to come and fill me and I want to grow in my relationship with the Holy Spirit. What do I do? Uh, let's just start there. And let's say, let's ask. If the Holy Spirit is a person, it's not an object. It's not like, oh, these are the five steps that you take. It's a relationship. If that's what you want, ask the Holy Spirit to come and to fill your hearts. And I believe because that is what God wants, God will answer that prayer. And when God answers that prayer, um, I think Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3 gets answered and the inner man will be strengthened, that we will know the love of Christ in a very deep experiential way, and that we will be filled with the fullness of God. So let's ask. Let's pray together.